You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Gracious God, we ask for you to pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, much like on that day of Pentecost, a spirit that unites us, that brings us together, that allows us to speak in a language that your disciples might hear for the growth of your kingdom. May that spirit, may that same spirit, that same power from you move among us tonight. Open our hearts, open our minds to hear your word so that we might follow you well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good evening. It's good to see you. Yeah, so our first session on the book of Acts. Uh, If you were here for Conversations of uh, St. Francis, uh, sorry, that's the second half of uh, our semester. Oh, yeah. Um, Which, yeah, (laughs) I'm out. (laughs) I don't want to read the Bible, I want to read St. Francis. Um, Though, but I I invite you to come back for that, um, which is a beautiful book written by uh, James Howell. Uh, James Howell is the senior pastor at Myers Park United Methodist Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, Um, and he often goes to Assisi, Uh, and this book is a reflection of one of his trips uh, to see where St. Francis walked and lived and and did the work, so I invite you to come back for that in October. Um, If you're surprised by that, I'm sorry, you're going to get a little uh, Bible uh, tonight, I apologize about that. Um, But we're going to walk through the book of Acts, a couple of housekeeping uh, things. I have the sign-in sheet. Uh, If you physically signed in, awesome. Or if you registered for class, fantastic. Uh, Just put a check mark by your name. If you did an online registration, or if uh, you're just showing up because you love Jesus, uh, just put your name down on here. uh, Put a little check mark by it so that we can, so that Ellen won't come and get me uh, later tomorrow. Where's Ellen? I saw Ellen walking around here. Oh, there she is, yeah. Uh, Ellen, may I tell you, first thing Thursday morning, Ellen comes in, where's your sign-in sheet? And I'm always like, ah, sorry, I have to come back in the sanctuary, get the sign-in sheet. And, because El, Ellen is our statistics master. You know, because I'll just say, hey, I wonder what attendance looks like on the third Sunday of August over the last five years. She's like, is that a challenge? And she's like, go to the computer, and there it is, I have a graph, like, ready to go. It's so fantastic. So please uh, put a check mark by your name or write your name down uh, so that we can uh, keep appropriate records. Next thing I'm going to pass out is the syllabus. Dun, dun, dun. Um, And I'm just going to do this lazy teacher style. Here. (laughs) Pass them around. And here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Efficient teacher style. We'll start these back here. Excellent. Fantastic. Um, On the syllabus, you will see um, kind of our reading schedule. I hope you're ready to read. Reading is a good thing. Reading should be celebrated. Uh, And with Bible study, it's important uh, to have a Bible uh, with you. There are a couple of translations that are better than others for Bible study. And if you've been in one of my Bible studies before, you've heard this before. Uh, Something like the, the New Revised Standard Version or the NRSV, which is actually the official pew Bible of the United Methodist Church, is a good Bible to use for Bible study. Uh, the, in, uh, the New Living Translation is also good. The NIV, the New International Version, is also good uh, for Bible study. The point is not to use a paraphrase for Bible study, like the message. It's a paraphrase. 
So it, it's, it's not ideal for studying Scripture. There are some times uh, to pick up God's Word and simply be nourished by it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures, right? Then there's a time in terms of Bible study to break it apart, look around, upside down, flip it around, look at the history, how it was put together, this kind of thing. And that's what Bible study is for, right? Uh, So this is is a a devotion group or a small group uh, or a prayer circle. Uh, We're going to be studying scripture, right? So we're going to be breaking it apart, looking around, looking above and beyond and around it. So you need to have uh, a Bible for that. Um, My my personal recommendation, uh, though... Don't, you certainly don't have to follow it, uh, is the Harper Collins Study Bible, New Revised Standard Version, just like that one that Mama Bouge has. Yeah, well, yeah, that's fine. You know, what do you need? What do you, you need anything? Because you're following my recommendation. You know, you, you say, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so a good Bible, a good Bible to have. It's helpful to have a study Bible. Um, not necessary, but just helpful because footnotes matter. Right, for example, uh, one thing that we'll, we'll find uh, in the course of our study. All right, so it's good to have uh, a study Bible with you. Not necessary, but it's good because footnotes matter. Because one thing that we'll run across in our studies, uh, there is a missing verse in the book of Acts. This is fantastic. I've mentioned it from the pulpit before. Uh, this is great. And this is, this is one of the reasons why, why Bible study is so fun. Because sometimes we think that Scripture kind of fell out of the sky in the Queen's English, like ready to go in order, instead of, a better way to look at Scripture is that Scripture is a library from many sources being put together, right? It's not, it's not a novel by a singular artist, right? Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit, um, but a footnote to always have intention with that is that humanity has had it for thousands of years, and there's nothing that humanity hasn't screwed up, uh, including copying Scripture by hand. Okay? Um, so if you look at this is fun, uh, if you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 8. Just as an example of, of the fun of, of Bible study. And I want you to find verse 837. Acts 8.37. That's, it's a footnote, yeah? Yes! Acts 8.37 is a footnote. How interesting is that? Right? Uh, this is when Bible study gets fun. Right? Because somewhere along the lines, Acts 8.37 was in the narrative, but it was added much later to the story. So scholars over time said, mm, this is probably not original to this text. We're not going to throw it out, but we're going to put it as a footnote. Going to keep it in, but not not in the story, right? Uh, so that's I get a kick out of that because I'm a bit of a nerd. But um, it's just that's how Bible study can get fun when you're reading along, and sometimes when you read too fast, you miss some of these things. So we're going to read. I said we're going to read slowly. There's a lot of reading, uh, but that's one of the fun things about Bible study is to really dissect it and jump in, thinking about what the author intends, thinking about what meaning is today. Uh, and it's, it's a lot of fun. So let's take a quick look at uh, the schedule. Um, just so uh, if, you need to, if you need to run in terror, you can do that now. Um, so tonight is, is simply an introduction uh, to the class. And to go over the Bible study principles, which I cover every time that I do a Bible study. 
uh, we'll get to in just a moment. And then a, a brief introduction to Acts, and the, it's, it's quite brief, and it's also on your syllabus down there, some introductory notes. Don't read them yet. I know you're flipping over right now to read them. Don't read them yet. <laughs> um, next week when we gather, because we'll gather every Wednesday uh, at 6.15, uh, part one, Acts of the Holy Spirit, we'll read. Uh, you need to, the, so when it says, read Acts 1 through 5, that needs to be read by that Wednesday, Right? So your homework is actually what we'll talk about next week, which is Acts 1 through 5. It's really helpful in Bible study, kind of like um, working out, um, which I, I don't know anything about working out. You know, funny story. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm actually going to see a physical therapist next week um, because I was under the false assumption that after 39 years of not exercising ever, that I could just get up and start jogging in the morning. Like, what's the big deal? Right? So I woke up early, set my alarm at 4.30, because my daughter needs to be at the bus stop at like 6.20, which is nuts. So I, I, I was jogging for 30, 30 minutes, right? I was feeling good, feeling real proud of myself. Um, and then after about two weeks, I thought, you know, ah, my knee, you know, ah, gee, you know. So my foot started hurting, then my knee started hurting, and then it kind of spread to this leg, and then this, this knee started hurting. And then I was getting out of bed and it was like a time machine, because I would go to bed, but then I would wake up like 20 years older for some reason. <laughs> I'd get out of bed, and I'm like, oh, you know, yeah, you know, kind of doing, I was like Gollum from Lord of the Rings. I was just like, you know, looking at the Tylenol, it's my precious, you know, it's just, please, you know, something. Until finally Christy said, go, go fix that, please. Go fix that. So, I'm, I'm, forgive me, I'm wearing my unassuming new shoes which they're probably going to make me replace when I go see the physical therapist. That was their first question. What shoes do you wear? I said, excuse me, that's a little personal. (laughs) So we'll we'll see how that works out. But it's like, so, like working out, you know, uh, just like don't jump into it uh, and read like Acts 1 through 20 the first time. Read daily, small bits daily, get into the rhythm, whether you're an early riser, reading first thing in the morning with a cup of coffee, or right before going to bed. Uh, this next week, we have to read Acts 1 through 5. So maybe tomorrow, you read Acts 1. Right? And then Friday, you read Acts 2. Take a little weekend break. Monday, read Acts 3. Tuesday, read Acts 4. Um, or you can do like my daughter does. And about 10 minutes before the class, like skim Acts 1 through 5, looking for important people. <laughs> you know, however, you do you. You do you. It's more fruitful if you get in the rhythm and read a little bit every day. Right? Are we, are we, are we good? Because otherwise it'll be overwhelming uh, and, and, and you'll, you'll, you'll miss some things. And if you don't read, come anyway, please. There, there's, there's no, well, there's a quiz, like at the end of it all, right? We all meet Jesus. Um, but I'm not going to be quizzing you. So even if you haven't read, come anyway, right? It'll be fruitful anyway. All right, so you, you see the schedule there. Uh, there are some additional reading, if you want to, that gives some background to what you're reading. Uh, in Acts, and I only the additional readings are from Scripture itself. There are other um, other other ways to get extra information if you want to. Um, if you're all out of hobbies and, and you really want to uh, learn, uh, so a lot of the notes that I'll be offering is from this book. Uh, it's Raymond Brown's Introduction to the New Testament. Just a quick light read before bed, you know, right? Um, if, if you really want, and this covers the entire New Testament, if you want, you know, it's, it's only a $75 book, you know. Um, 
just letting you know that a lot of the notes are coming out of this. Um, another really interesting book, um, and I'm not recommending you get it, uh, but it's also going to be a source for, the, for this class. Uh, it's a textual commentary on the Greek New Testament. Now, what this book does, uh, and I'm not quite smart enough to read it, but there are some interesting things in it. What it does, it looks at all of the ancient manuscripts that we have found and compares them. Because sometimes there are textual differences in the manuscript. In other words, we didn't go digging in, in the Nag Hammadi or, or in the desert and find like a Bible, right? There are scrolls, manuscripts, pieces here. Uh, and these manuscripts, uh, in, in one degree or another, uh, disagree with, with what Scripture says. Right? So this book, it's a handy-dandy guide of, well, this manuscript that was found says more here in this verse, or this verse doesn't exist in this manuscript, because Scripture is a living, breathing thing. It's a library, right? It, it, it wasn't unearthed. It didn't fall out of the sky. Uh, it, it's a library of, of inspired people trying to figure out who God is. Are we okay so far? Yeah? Okay. So just, just so that you're aware, uh, most of the notes for the class come from these two sources. Uh, but there's also, you can get uh, an Acts commentary uh, if you want to. Uh, that would be fine too. The, the, the study Bible will probably be uh, all that you need, the footnotes that are in there. Uh, but far be it for me to tell you not to do extra homework. Right? So if you want to do that, rock and roll. If you find something uh, and you want to say, hey, what do you think about Leander Keck's commentary on whatever, you know, I'll let you know. Right? So if you want to do extra reading, rock and roll. Fantastic. Um, let's take a look at the Bible study principles, uh, which are on your sheet. Letter A, the Word of God is Jesus Christ, and the words of the Bible tell us about that Word. Therefore, when we study the words of the Bible, we always look behind, in, and through those words for God's Word, Jesus Christ. So what that means is the words of Scripture ultimately point us to the Word, as in Jesus Christ. And sometimes in order to unearth the presence of Jesus, we do sometimes have to wrestle and chew and flip things around and look at them upside down and really get at the heart of... And you'll see this as we walk through Acts um, uh, in order to find, and to find that divine presence. Again, in a covenant group or a small group, there's a time to pick up the Bible and to be nourished by it. But then in Bible study, we ask questions of why was this written? When was it written? Uh, are there differences in translation? Are there... Right? So that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be studying it um, and, and wrestling with it. You know, I love this, that Jesus came to save the children of Israel. And I've mentioned this before. What does Israel mean? Yeah, he, he or she who, he who wrestles with God, right? Uh, and, and Bible study is, is a really great opportunity to start that wrestling. <laughs> um, Jesus came to save those who choose to wrestle with God, right? Um, so Bible study is a great place to do that. And a good safe place. We'll get, we'll get to that. Uh, letter B. No Christian has a monopoly on understanding either God's word or the words of scripture. This includes biblical scholars, pastors, or the most unlearned Christian. All of us must listen to one another as we seek to understand the richness of God's gift. I would love for you to leave here and take every word of my mouth as, as the gospel truth with no variant. Um, uh, well, the, well, the preacher said... Um, I know I don't have to tell you this, but if there are any visitors in the room, uh, preachers are, are human <laughs> and screw up too, right? So uh, no one person has a monopoly on interpretation, right? Um, uh, and that's okay. If we come to different conclusions about something, that's okay. 
that's okay, right? We're, we're walking together. Letter C, we must, I mean, I've, I've, I've read it, right? I mean, I went, to, I went to school for it, so I mean, I might have a, something to offer, but, you know, um, I, can, I can be wrong. I'm wrong a lot. Ask my kids. I'm wrong all day long. <laughs> um, letter C, we must assume that everyone has Christian integrity and not accuse one another of being unchristian, no matter how unusual our opinions or questions, right? So this needs to be a safe place to learn and to stretch and to wrestle. Um, in other words, there, there, there are no stupid questions. If, if you don't ask it in Bible study, when exactly are you going to ask it, right? And there must be a basic assumption that no matter how bozo a question Karen asks, it's asked with integrity, okay? Are we good? Are we fair? Is that okay? Right? This is a safe place to ask. Letter D, we must further assume that we will arrive at different understandings and portions of Scripture, and that will not disturb God as much as it does some of us. (laughs) Okay? Um, Undoubtedly, undoubtedly, we'll run across something, especially, especially with the book of Acts, because there is a central struggle in the book of Acts, And one of the very reasons why the book of Acts was written and recorded. Um, And good Christian people fall on different sides of different things. Right? Uh, And that's okay. That's okay. Um, We'll get to it, but Peter and Paul didn't agree on everything. Uh, And the church survived. Right? Uh, In fact, Peter... (laughs) Paul didn't much like Peter (laughs) all that much. In fact, it's recorded in the book of Galatians. You should read this. This is great. Where it says, I opposed Peter to his face because he was a hypocrite. He ate with us Gentiles. He's not, Paul's not a Gentile, but he said he ate with the Gentiles until, I'm paraphrasing, uh, until the highfalutin folk from Jerusalem came and then he didn't have anything to do with us. So Peter's a straight up hypocrite. And that is recorded forever. It's like a, a, a little snapshot of mean girls in Galatians. From Paul to Peter, right? So Peter and Paul didn't get along. That's okay. The church survived that. It will survive our disagreements as well. Okay? Uh, Letter E. While we accept our differences, we do not feel that those differences are unimportant or that they should be ignored or treated as as if they didn't matter. That's kind of like when when folks say, I am colorblind. You know, stop, stop it. Um, We are beautifully unique. And if we claim to be colorblind... Uh, it sounds good on the surface, but what that actually means is I'm completely ignoring your culture <laughs> and who you are, right? Um, or as I like to say it, someone still has to decide what shade of gray. If you say you're colorblind, someone still has to decide what the shade of gray is, right? All of God's creatures have a place in the choir. The trick is who's assigning the parts and why, right? Um, so all, all of that to say uh, in, in letter E, um, yeah, we might have some differences, and we need to recognize those. Uh, and, and, and the point of Bible study is not to come to consensus, it's to experience Jesus. Yeah, good, so far? No pitchforks yet? Torches? Rotten tomatoes? Whew, excellent, okay, so far so good. Letter F, difficult biblical understandings can remain among us, and we can still be friends. <laughs> In fact, as we grow to better understand God's Word... <coughs> Excuse me. Better understand God's word. We will grow in love for one another even when we disagree. And that is, I think, uh, when church happens, that you deeply love and respect someone even if you cancel each other out at the voting booth. Where it's not Caesar that's uniting you. It's Jesus. Right? I think that's a cool thing. Or as I like to say, uh, at the Last Supper, 
there was both Simon the Zealot, who was trying to overthrow the government, and Matthew the tax collector, who was working for the government, both at the same table. And it wasn't their politics that got him there. It was uh, Jesus offering himself. Right? Are we good? Is that great? Kosher? Great, good. Um, If you have questions about that, uh, don't uh, hesitate to ask. So the thing about Scripture, and I say this every time we start a Bible study, so if you've been in one, um, this will will sound familiar. There are three hurdles we have to, over which we have to traverse in order to study Scripture. Uh, One is language. This is not in your sheet. I'm sorry, I'm improvising. For those who are desperate, where is that? Uh, Sorry about that. Um, One is language. Um, lang- uh, the Bible was not originally written in English. So that's a hurdle. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, ancient Hebrew, and the New Testament was written in primarily Greek, and also there are some bits of Aramaic in there as well. Like when Jesus is on the cross and says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? That's Aramaic. And it was so unknown that the gospel authors explain what it says in Scripture. That's how unknown Jesus' own ton of Aramaic was. They have to explain it. Or when Jesus heals Jairus' daughter and says, Talitha kum, which means little girl get up. So there's Aramaic, and it was so unfamiliar that they had to explain what it meant. Right? Okay? Uh, so language is one of those hurdles. Um, and even if it was written in English, you know, it's... Um, we, have, we have trouble... I've mentioned this before, too. We have trouble understanding different English dialects as well. And I know I've told you my story of being on a mission trip, uh, Appalachia Service Project, um, where I saw folks with full water bottles. And asked somebody, I said, uh, they were from, I think they were from Ohio. It might not be from Ohio, but this will make sense in a second. I asked someone, I said, um, where's the water fountain? She goes, ah, we don't have water fountains here. I'm like, uh, I, see some, I see full water bottles. Like, where are they filling them up? She goes, oh, the bubbler's in the cafeteria. What, what the heck's a bubbler? And she goes, you, know, you press the button and the water bubbles out of it and you can fill up your water bottle. You know? um, and I said, no, 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 that's a water fountain. And she goes, oh, no, water fountain's outside of big fancy buildings that has statues in it and it's really big and beautiful. And so even with English, there are barriers of context and understanding, right? Uh, do you cross the median or the neutral ground? Right? Yeah, neutral ground. Do you drink Coke, pop, or soda? Right? These kind of things. Cultural, regional dialects. Sometimes even English is hard. Okay? So, translation is number one. Number two, uh, it's thousands of years old. Scripture is thousands of years old. Right? Uh, The newest parts of Scripture, or the latest that were written down, probably around the second century. So, let's just say, rule of thumb, it's at least 2,000 years old. Right? Uh, we have a tough time. You can get a doctorate in reading Shakespeare. That's only a couple hundred years old and written in English. And we can't understand. I say we. I don't understand it. Right? Um, so uh, language, time, or, sorry, time and language. No, I did language first. Language and then time. And then third, culture. It's Middle Eastern literature. Uh, it wasn't written in Bozier. Uh So when, like, for example, when Jesus talks about uh, a sower went to sow some seeds. Or, for example, when Jesus says, if you have the faith the side of a mustard seed, you can tell this mountain to move and it would move. Well, what mountain is he talking about? He's talking about Herod's palace. Now, if you were in first century Palestine and you heard that and you recognized where Jesus was, you would recognize. Another way to say it is uh, putting in, I wouldn't have to explain it if I said Jesus was um, 
downtown where the saints play, and he pointed and says, if you have faith of the size of mustard seed, that dome would move. And you would know exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about the Superdome, right? We know that. Um, if, you're saint, if you're one of the godly ones and are a saints fan, you would recognize the truth of that. Um, <laughs> or, you know, um, so culture is the third. Middle Eastern culture. This is Middle Eastern literature. So some of the images, some of the phrasing uh, takes an extra bit of interpretation. Right? Good. Are we square so far? Are we okay? Are we good? No, one, no, one's, no one's left yet. That's always good. So let's talk about an introduction to the book of Acts. And this is now on your sheet. Um, and we're not going to take up the whole time tonight while I say that. I always say that. Tim laughs at me when I say the sermon's not long today. Um, introductory notes. All right, so the book of Acts is volume two of a two-part work. Luke, the traditional author of Luke, also wrote Acts. It's two parts of the same work. Luke and Acts is the same work. Uh, and uh, though, though when um, in the, the fourth century, I think, when they were finalizing the canon, uh, John kind of snuck in in between Luke and Acts. John was always, John was, I don't want to say snuck in. <clears throat> it wasn't like he was a dark horse during the, uh, the election, right? It's just they, they put all four Gospels together, which then necessitated separating Luke and Acts. And they put John there because John was so very different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It didn't make sense to have Matthew, Mark, John, and then Luke, Acts. It's, it'd be really bumpy, right? Um, all of that to say, Luke and Acts written by the same person, and it's two volumes of the same work, Okay? Um, and Luke is, was probably a companion of Paul. There's evidence of that in Philemon 24, Colossians 4.14, and second, that's not 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 4.11. And it was probably, as scholars think, probably from Antioch because of the kind of Greek in which it was written. And also Antioch was kind of one of the hubs of the church at the time, the church of Antioch. Church of Antioch was, was the big steeple at the time. One of them, right? Um, and there seems to be, this is an interesting little tidbit. There doesn't seem to be any knowledge of Paul's letters in the book of Acts. In other words, as you're reading Acts, you won't find someone said, as Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians, yada, yada, yada. Which is very interesting. So, Luke is probably a companion of Paul's. But he wasn't with Paul all the time. And you'll see that there's really curious passages in Acts where it switches from third person to first person. Plural. It's called the we passages. Like all of a sudden it switches from they went here, Paul went there, Timothy went there. And then it says we traveled to, which is really interesting. There's no footnote, there's no explanation. It just switches voices. So the theory goes that those are the passages in which Luke was with them. Okay? Scholars debate this. They don't auto- Scholars don't agree on anything. <laughs> in fact, my New Testament professor in seminary and my uh, Romans professor in seminary, both who have studied in the New Testament for 30 years, disagreed on the point of Romans. And look, if they're studying it, if they devoted 30 years of their life to this and they disagree on that... After seven weeks, why do we think that we have to find a consensus on, on what these, these things mean? Right? It's fascinating. I love that. Uh, and they get real, they get real um, snarky with each other. 
And that's not what chapter 4 means in Romans. You know. All right. Um, there, there doesn't seem to be any knowledge of Paul's letters which would suggest that Luke was with Paul um, sporadically. Uh, and scholars debate this uh, contention with biblical evidence and timeline. Uh, and the we passages, right? Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about that when we get there uh, in the book of Acts. But that's just a really curious thing. There's no footnote or headline or just all of a sudden switches voices. Kind of an interesting thing to take note of. Luke was probably, Acts, excuse me, and Luke for that matter, um, was probably recorded or written down between 80 and 100 A.D. Or A.D., 80 and 100. Okay? The reason being, and again, scholars debate this. But our best guess is, as you're reading the, the, the literature, there is an assumption that the temple has been destroyed by Rome. That's like the big marker when they're trying to date biblical works. Is it written as if the temple is there, or is it written as if the temple is not there? Because the temple was destroyed, the second temple was destroyed by Rome in the year 70, which is kind of the big tentpole of dating things. There are two big, two real, because none of them have like, Written by Luke, the year 33, you know. It, it, none of them, they don't have that. It's just not, so it's a guess. Uh, and there are two things that help us figure that out is, is it written as if the temple is there? Or is it written as if the temple is not there? And also, what kind of Greek is it? And you know this, right? So if you read a work like Wuthering Heights, uh, or God blesses his soul, like William Faulkner, it just kind of goes on and on and on and on. There's no punctuation. It just kind of goes on and on. I mean, it was written in a time where you could like sit on the porch in Mississippi and have nothing to do all day and to read William Faulkner. Literature written today is very short, very fast, lots of punctuation, and full of emojis. Right? Right? The kind of language gives us an idea of when it was written. Does that make sense when I say that? The way it's written gives us an idea of when it was written. Right? Um, the smiley face, heart-eyed emoji didn't exist before, you know, 2015 or whatever. So that might be, you know, 75 years from now, that might be a big marker of uh, American intellectual literature is, does it have emojis in it? <laughs> right? If it has emojis in it, it's post-2015 or whatever, right? So those are the two big markers. Is it written as if the temple is there or is it written as if the temple is not there? And what kind of Greek is it? Well, the, the, um, the kind of Greek in Mark is not as eloquent as the kind of Greek in Luke and Acts, which is one of the markers, not the only marker, because um, the third marker is sources. What kind of sources do they use? Luke borrows from Mark a lot, which would necessitate the assumption that Mark was written first. Or some scholars have kind of a, a bozo idea that like Mark borrowed from Matthew and Luke and just consolidated it and put it together. That, that's, harder, that's harder to do than Matthew and Luke using Mark as a source. We don't have to, it's just, Luke and Acts is probably between the, age, the years 80 and 100. Um, not after 100 because of the people mentioned and when they were in power. They weren't in power uh, after year 100, so that's off the table. And it was written at least after Mark and probably after the temple was destroyed in 70. So around about 80 is probably as early as it was written down. Okay? A lot of this happened by oral tradition uh, before it was written down. Why do you think they started writing it down around year 70 to year 80? 
two big things started happening. The Romans destroyed the temple. So everyone living in the Holy Land said, "Uh uh-oh, we might be exterminated. uh, And if we want the story to continue, we might have to write it down. That's one. Second is the first generations of Christians were dying. So that primary source of the people who walked and lived and did ministry with Jesus were no longer there. It's kind of like when my, when my grandfather was getting sick, uh, he fought on D-Day. So I sat down with a pencil and a piece of paper and said, tell me your story. Right? Let, let, let's get it down. Let's write it down. And that's one of the reasons why this was all written down around the years 70, 80. That first generation was dying, so they wanted to record it. Yeah? Are we good? Excellent. This is fun. <laughs> there are at least... <laughs> At least two primary versions of the book of Acts. There's an Eastern version and and a Western version. Very early on, even though the the split was not official until much later, the Eastern church, which is uh, Istanbul, was Constantinople. Istanbul East is considered the Eastern church, the Eastern Orthodox church. Greek, Russian, that area, right? There's also the Western Church, which is Istanbul, was Constantinople, and West, uh, which is primarily uh, Roman Catholicism, right? So Greek Orthodox and Catholicism, uh, even though they didn't officially split early on, early on there were great divisions between like Antioch and Alexandria, those two big steeples. It's kind of like when you're in like Shreveport and you have like First Methodist and then Grace Community. And they have a kickball tournament, and they think it's much more important than it is. Like whoever wins has like Methodist bragging rights. Uh, back in the day, you had Antioch and Alexandria, two big schools of thought. Alexandria had the library, as Alexandria as Alexandrites. People from Alexandria would say, "We have the knowledge." Well, Antioch is saying, "We actually have people in our churches." So, <laughs> there you go, right? Um, so because of that, because there were two big schools of thought, there are uh, two different versions of Acts. One is longer than the other. And that, that's uh, from, this, from this guy right here. And it's also from the other book, uh, Introduction to the New Testament by Raymond Brown. Um, and you might, you might even have a footnote uh, in your study Bible about it. The Eastern version of Acts is shorter than the And what, I'm, what I mean shorter, it's like, by words. It's not like there's an extra chapter or something like that. There, the, the, the word count, right? Um, so th- there's, there's one of two theories. Either the Western church's version of Acts was original, and when they started to send it out, they decided to clean it up, make it a little shorter, make it a little more concise. Or, for the Sherlock's in the room, or the converse of that is true, the Eastern version, the shorter version is... is Original, and the West started adding to it as the tradition continued, right? Uh, and there's there's kind of they're kind of divided on that. Uh, ultimately, I, I, I'm not sure it quite matters, um, but they you know uh, people spend 30 years duking it out over this kind of stuff. Uh, so it matters you know. Um, so just to be aware of that, and that's just another added footnote of you know it didn't drop out of the sky in English, bound you know in leather, right? Uh, there are actually two primary, it's Eastern and Western versions of the books of Acts, of the book of Acts. Uh, they vary by just a, a handful of words. It's not a lot, um, but, the, but there are differences in the manuscripts that they have found. 
Okay. Ah, what's the purpose of Acts? Okay. Uh, to detail three things. On the surface, three things. Uh, to detail the birth, growth, and the evangelistic nature of the church. So, it reveals how the church came to be in its infancy, right? And we, we read that story almost every year in Pentecost. Uh, they were all gathered in one place, and the Holy Spirit, like a sound of a rush of a violent wind came, and there was tongues of fire. And how was the church born? Second, how did the church grow? How did it start to promulgate across the ancient world? And then finally, recognizing the evangel, it didn't grow because of a brilliant marketing strategy or like a really fancy logo, right? It grew because of the words that they were sharing. They were sharing Jesus Christ with their words. They were baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or in the name of the Father and the Son, which we'll get into. Another division in the book of Acts is there was a faction of people baptizing people and kind of rubbed Paul the wrong way because they were just baptizing people into Jesus. He goes, no, no, no. Where's the Spirit? It's Trinitarian. And we're like, what? We've never heard of that. Um, so it's just, I love this because it's, um, the book of Acts is saturated with this divine energy of the Holy Spirit. And it also has humans kind of duking it out over some things. And I love that. It's also very human. You know, Paul showing up and like, hey, you have a really great church. You know, tell me about it. Oh, we baptize everybody in the name of Jesus. And he goes, and? What do you mean, and? Just in the name of Jesus. He goes, no, 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 it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm like, what? We haven't heard of the Spirit. So Paul's like, ugh. So like Paul starts teaching and doing this thing. Uh, Peter and Paul kind of disagree because Peter brings Paul before the Jerusalem council. And he's like, James. Because Peter's kind of like, you know, bless his heart. He has this really great sermon at the beginning of the book of Acts. And he just kind of, uh, James, his churches are really big and mine aren't small. So he like drags Paul to, to the principal's office. I'm paraphrasing. I'm, I'm being light with it. But um, so Peter, because Paul is planting these churches and it's going really well, but it's also full of stinking, filthy Gentiles. And that Peter's like, really? Really, Paul? Really? You know, I mean, I could have a big church if I just opened the door and let all the poor in. You know? It's just, that's just a little prophetic word for everybody who's here. Just, just. But really kind of upset uh, those in Jerusalem because uh, they had the mindset that it was for the people of Israel not the outsiders. And Paul, and Paul was letting in all the outsiders, and it was, it was gangbusters, man, just blowing up everywhere. Um, and then they had this big council. And we'll get into that. It's Acts chapter 15. My little footnote about that, I love this. James, like, outlines a plan. Like, okay, Paul, you can do this Gentile mission, uh, but here are the three stipulations. Bam, bam, and bam. And Paul says, great, thank you. See you on the flip side. And then he completely ignores stipulation one <laughs> when he goes, when he writes his letter to the Romans. I love it. You know, Paul's like, thank you, Bishop. I, I got you. I feel you. Now nah, I'm going to go do church. <laughs> and then he just goes and does, does this thing. I'm just hypothetically. Um, but it's also, the book of Acts, it's also a political document. Primarily because of the division between Peter and Paul. In a way... Acts is a document written to bring the church together. If you'll notice, the first half of the book of Acts is all about Peter. The Holy Spirit was on Peter. 3,000 people joined the church. He has this grand vision of, of uh, all things are made clean, and co- which, by the way, was firmed up in the Gospel of Mark. I guess Peter was getting burgers or something. He missed that teaching of Jesus. Um, 
he has this grand vision, and but then right around something happens in around Acts nine, and it's the conversion of Paul, and then the second half or most of the rest of Acts is about Paul. When you have someone on the right growing churches and someone on the left growing churches, and they're kind of doing this. Sometimes people get together and say, okay, let's see how right and left can hang together. And the church survived it. Just say it. Okay? We'll get into that in January, Asbury. Um, So, on the surface, it's about the birth, growth, and the evangelistic nature of the church. It's also a political document to bring unity to the division between Peter and Paul. Okay? Okay? Here's an interesting quote. From the Raymond Brown uh, book, it says, We have the example of Christians facing an unforeseen problem and solving it. So, what's the problem? The problem in the book of Acts, uh, there's, there's the surface answer, and then there's the one like underlying it. So, on the surface, the question was, do you have to be Jewish in order to become Christian? Or can you be a Gentile and be Christian at the same time? Right? And they talk about that kind of using code language, uh, using the word circumcision. Do you have to be circumcised in order to be in the church? Who won that? So Peter said, yes, you need to be circumcised. It's a sign of the covenant. And Paul said, no, you don't. Because the covenant comes first, and circumcision is a recognition of that covenant, not the other way around. Who won that argument, by the way? Have you heard me ask anyone if they have been circumcised before they join the church? Paul won. Paul won. That's flippant, and that's, um, but, but we are, uh, unless you're Jewish, uh, you should give a high five to Paul, because uh, I'm assuming that most of us here are Gentiles, right? So, uh, you're welcome, right? <laughs> um, I, I tend not to ask. <laughs> um, you know, open hearts, open minds, open doors, man. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, right? Yeah. Um, so the, 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 the disagreement was about um, whether or not you had to be Jewish in order to be in Christ. Uh, and they talked about that using code word uh, or code language of circumcision, which was to them code language for do you have to, be, do you have to recognize the covenant of Abraham? Because that's where uh, it began, right? Uh, Peter and Paul disagreed about that. Um, and here's the thing which is what this quote is about, is here in the book of Acts, one of the, really, one of the great blessings of it is to see people try to figure out a controversy where Jesus is relatively silent. Which is most of, you know, what I mean by that is um, nowhere in the book of Acts, I don't want to say nowhere, but often in the book of Acts when they run across a controversy, they don't say, well, as it says in Mark chapter 6, Jesus said this. No, they wrestle with it. Because Jesus, of course, was called to the people of Israel. Jesus also went to the other side of the lake, to the Gerasenes uh, and to Gentiles. And the, 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 um, uh, it doesn't say who was there for the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, this kind of a thing. Um, what, what, is, uh, what is Jesus' stance on being circumcised or not? He doesn't specifically say in order to be part of the way, which is what the church was called before was called the church, in order to be a part of the way you have to be circumcised. Jesus never said that. So here's the church wrestling with something that Jesus didn't explicitly address, which gives us a clue of how to live in the 21st century. Because there are plenty of things that we wrestle with 
as Christians that Jesus didn't specifically address. And we have to wrestle with it. We have to listen to the Holy Spirit. We have to walk with one another to figure it out. Um, you know, is uh, um, artificial intelligence a good thing? Is genetic research a good thing? Is driving a car a good thing? I mean, some of the examples are silly, you know. Because um, there, there are several uh, Levitical codes that, that we adopt. You know, I'm assuming you get things like haircuts and you eat like cheeseburgers and enjoy crawfish, all of which is uh, you shouldn't be doing, according to Leviticus, right? So we have to wrestle with these things, uh, especially the things that Jesus didn't specifically address. It's a wrestling that has to happen. And that's one of the things where, why the book of Acts is so important as a guide. Because here is a, here's an example of a community of faith wrestling with something that Jesus didn't specifically address. Or at the very least, they didn't quote Jesus in trying to figure it out. James, at the, council of, uh, the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, didn't say, Jesus said, fill in the blank, so go do this. He used his own discernment by the power of the Holy Spirit and said, okay, Paul, you can have a Gentile church under these three stipulations. Does that make sense? I'm not saying that Jesus is not present, please hear me, or that they didn't um, consult the living Christ. I'm saying they didn't quote a law that Jesus established to make these decisions. They discerned, they prayed, they walked, and, and figured it out. Does that make sense? Are we okay? Okay, good. Um, questions? Concerns? Pitchforks? Letters? So, next week, uh, I, I invite you to come uh, after reading Acts chapters 1 through 5. Uh, it's, this is a wild book. Uh, I, I'd, love, I'd love to hang out with you every week on this, because the book of Acts is a wild book. Uh, some, things, some stories we know really, really well, um, like Acts chapter 2, the Holy Day of Pentecost, right? Because you hear that a lot. Uh, we don't hear Acts 5 all that often. Uh, you know, there's a story that you're going to read, uh, which is really great for, like, Commitment Sunday when you're filling out pledge cards. Uh, there's a couple that comes, uh, and they lie about their giving, and they drop dead. And the apostles who are there said, well, uh, don't lie about your giving. Give it, give it all to God. You know, right? I've not been brave enough to use that on Commitment Sunday <laughs> while you're filling out your pledge card, right? There's some really great stories in here. And, and, and just the, um, the, the amazing nature of, 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 of Paul just going anywhere where... I say anywhere where he wanted to plant a church. That's not true. There were times when the Holy Spirit said, nope, don't go there. And Paul's like, well, okay, I won't go there. I'll go somewhere else. Just this idea of how they were living by the power of the Holy Spirit is really fantastic um, in this story. Final thoughts before we pray. Once, twice, three times a lady. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Great, gracious God, we, we give you thanks for the power of your Holy Spirit, this divine energy that moves among us and around us and even in spite of us in order to accomplish the building of your kingdom. We invite the Spirit to rest with us until we meet again. Hold us close, fill us with grace, and help us to share mercy uh, in the name of Jesus Christ.
Uh, Be with us until we meet again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much.